You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Our passage this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. If you're a guest, let me add my welcome and let me invite all of us to pray as we consider God's word together. Father, I uh, just bow myself at the privilege that it is to have stood behind this pulpit for the past better part of six years, proclaiming the living and active words of God. God, I reflect on your word this morning. I think about how you say that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. I thank you that you say concerning your word that every word that proceeds from you will not return until it's accomplished what it was sent to do. God, I thank you that uh, you say concerning your word that it's living, it's alive, it's not a dead book, it's, a, it's alive, it's working in our midst. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce us and meet us in places that nothing else can. Uh, your word transforms us, Lord. Your word gives us um, energy and sustenance to live through life as Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted, uh, says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What a privilege it's been to proclaim your word to this precious group of people. And now I just pray that your word would come boldly this morning to encourage us, to give us the joy that the apostle Paul had. I pray that your word would have its effect that you sent it out to do. I pray that your spirit would accompany your word. And finally, Lord, I just pray, maybe there are people who have not responded in this room yet to the most important word that you've ever spoken, the word we celebrate every week here, the word of the gospel the word of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and how when we receive and put our trust in that word, it changes our lives here and now. It changes our relationship with you. It changes our hope for eternity. So even in this gathering, if there are those that have not yet put their faith in your living word, oh, spirit of God, would you fall on us in this place this morning and call people to yourself? Father, thank you for these truths, and thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So as you are aware, uh, this is going to be my last Sunday preaching as your pastor. It's possible that they'll have me back. I don't know. We'll see how this, this morning goes uh, down the road. I, I would love if that's the case, but 
as, as your pastor, this is going to be uh, my last Sunday. Um, one of my kids this morning said, um, oh, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of tears this morning and there probably will, but that's kind of my normal MO anyway. Uh, but, uh, I'm really thankful over the past couple of weeks that Chewy was able to fill in so I could have a couple of weeks to sort of reflect and consider um, which passage should we preach from, which passage kind of fits this moment. And as I prayed and considered what to preach, I felt like this passage from Philippians was exactly what we needed to hear. A couple of reasons for that. If you've been with us for a while, uh, you know that the book of Philippians plays a significant role in the life of New City. So the first passage we preached out of uh, was about the founding of the Philippian church in Acts chapter 16. That's the first thing we ever preached out of together as a church. And then the first book we completed together of the Bible, the first book we preached through totally was uh, the book of Philippians. And so it's played a significant historical role in the life of New City Fellowship. Um, but there's a theme in the book of Philippians that captures the moment that you and I are in right now. The, the book of Philippians somehow paradoxically captures the realities of, on the one hand, heavy sorrow. This is a sorrowful book. But on the other end, it also captures this reality of ecstatic Joy. So the heavy sorrow side, where's that come from? When Paul writes these words, he's in jail. He's in a Roman prison. Uh, things are not going well for him. Things are heavy for him. And to add to that heaviness, he's not sure how much longer he'll even be alive. He's wondering if perhaps he might be put to death for his work in proclaiming the gospel. So uh, for example, in Philippians 1.20, he says, so now with full courage, Christ will be honored in my body by life or by death. This is a serious book. It's a, it's a heavy book. It's a sorrowful book. But there's also a pronounced theme of ecstatic joy. You will not find a book in the New Testament that is more centered on the theme of joy than the book of Philippians. I went through and counted, and this isn't a long book. There's just four short, short chapters. Maybe you can read the rest when you go home. And there are at least 14 mentions of joy or rejoicing throughout the book, even under heavy circumstances. So um, one four, we'll get to this in a second. Paul says, making my prayer with joy. One eighteen, Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. Chapter two, verse two, complete my joy. Three, verse one, finally, brothers, Rejoice. And another example, chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Heavy sorrow, ecstatic joy. And so in this moment that we are in at New City Fellowship, there is for me, and I know for many of you, an experience of sorrow. I, I feel that deeply. But in the midst of the sorrow, my invitation to us this morning is to experience the joy that Paul tapped into and that he invited the Philippians to tap into in the midst of his sorrow. So uh, my main question this morning is this, why is Paul so joyful? And I, I really wanted to just go out with a bang and do something unique. So I've got three points this morning, okay? Uh, uh, three, three answers to that question. 
Why is Paul so, so joyful? Why is Paul so joyful? Three, three answers to that question. Because understand this, church, that Paul is not just saying, I know things are hard and heavy, but just try to be happy or uh, uh, put a smile on your face. He has a reason. He has a source for the joy that he feels. And that reason stated plainly is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His source of joy is the saving news of Jesus. And there are sort of three experiences of the gospel uh, that I want to focus our attention on this morning. So why is Paul so joyful in this moment? Number one, answer number one, because of their fellowship in the gospel. Their fellowship in the gospel. Let me invite us to read verse one one more time. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always making my prayer, here it is, with joy. When I remember you and I pray for you, I have joy, Paul says. Why does Paul have such joy when he remembers the Philippian church? Uh, When he calls to mind his experience with the members of the church of Philippi. Why was he joyful? He says next, because of your partnership, could also be translated fellowship, in the gospel. Why is Paul so joyful? It is because of their fellowship in the gospel. The gospel is the saving message of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Their fellowship around the gospel, what is it to fellowship? It's to to share in something, to to partake in something together, uh, to be joined with other people around something. And so, so my question is, Why is there such joy for Paul in their fellowship in the gospel? Uh, Why not just the gospel? How does their fellowship in the gospel somehow enhance his joy? Here's why. You can have the most incredible experiences in the world, but if you experience those things alone, they will somehow be incomplete. You could enjoy the best meal. You uh, could uh, see the most beautiful sunrise or sunset. You could listen to the most incredible music. But if you had those experiences by yourself, as joyful as they would somehow be, they would somehow remain incomplete. They would remain incomplete. There's something about joy that has to be shared with other people for it to be fully experienced. I had the, the real gift, the, the joy. Uh, last week, we were gifted with just being able to, to, to spend some time up at Rehoboth Beach at a beach house. We'd never been to Rehoboth Beach before. A uh, lot of activity going on there. And the house that we stayed in was like 50 yards from this, this theme park. And so uh, the funny part about that is like, you know, it, it goes late into the night and, uh, you know, we're like, 9.30 is late for us, um, you know, uh, so we would go to bed early and we'd be half asleep and you hear these blood curdling screams. And so you'd, you'd wake up and have to remind yourself, oh, no one's dying. Uh, someone's probably just vomiting on the people below them on the ride. Like everything's okay. It's not a big deal. Uh, and so hearing all these screams of excitement and, and terror, uh, we, we went over there and, and my son 
really wanted to go on this pirate ship ride. How many of you have been on the ride that pendulum swings from one uh, place all the way back to the other and you go up and your stomach is lifted up above your head and then it remains there as the rest of you goes back down on the other side of the pendulum swing. And my son, Caleb, is very bold with these things. He's all about it, wants to do it. And so we got the tickets. He, he gets on the pirate ship ride and you can see the joy that he's experiencing. He's having, having a great time with it. Uh, but my daughter, Emily, on the other hand, she's uh, less interested I suppose, and having her stomach, uh, you know, lifted above her head on, on a ride. So she was, wanted no part of it. And so uh, Caleb, having experienced it on his, on his own, uh, for the remainder of our time at the beach, put on a full court press persuasion to Emily that she needed to join him in this experience. And it was absolutely no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, not getting on that ride. But, but finally, as she processed and she considered, she's very thoughtful. She's very, very considerate. She, she decided to get on the ride with him. And what I was able to watch happen with my kids was the, the sort of basic joy of experiencing something awesome alone turned into an ecstatic joy of being able to experience it together. So why is Paul so joyful when he thinks back on uh, this church? Well, Paul has great reason to be joyful for his personal salvation, his, his individual experience of the gospel. Remember, Paul was killing Christians. Paul was killing Christians, and Jesus saved him. Jesus opened his eyes to the reality of the gospel he has more reason for rejoicing individually in the gospel than perhaps any of us in this room. And yet, yet, there was a more complete joy for him to experience when he shared the gospel with the people in Philippi. There was a more complete joy when Paul was able to take his individual experience of the gospel and meet, for example, Lydia, who had some familiarity with uh, the Bible, but uh, through Paul's help was able to see that Jesus was the center of all of it. And Paul was able to experience with her the transforming power of the gospel. Or when Paul met the uh, slave uh, demon-possessed girl in Acts chapter 16, who was enslaved to her masters uh, and was set free from that, just like Paul was set free from his sin. Or when he was able, get this, to meet the uh, Philippian jailer, who was persecuting him, a Christian. And, and Paul was able to watch now happen what happened to him, someone who once persecuted Christians become a believer along with the entire Philippian household. Why does Paul have intense joy in this moment? Because his personal experience of the gospel was transformed into a fellowship around the gospel with other people. And that fellowship around the gospel makes his joy complete. So let me talk about my joy that I have this morning. It remains to me, and I know I reference it a lot, it's just divinely comical that the Lord invited me to join him in what he was doing and planting a church in Manassas. Like, there are regular ironies that I go through of doing gospel ministry in this city. Like, the community, the neighborhood that my community group meets in right now, I used to go through uh, burglarize cars and houses to have money so I could buy drugs and support my habit. Like the same neighborhood. Like even here, like right here, maybe just a little bit that way, there, there used to be a skate park. I don't know if any of you have been in Manassas long enough to remember that skate park. And I went to high school right over there at Osborne. And if you ever just want to see 
human depravity on full display, just show up at a skate park, okay? And that's where I lived. That was my time. I remember just the, the way we would conduct ourselves. I remember the anger and the hatred. I, I remember one fight in particular that I had there. And somehow at like 20 yards from that same location, I'm up here preaching the gospel every week. It, it blows my mind. It blows my mind that God would invite me to be a part of what he was doing in this place. But can I tell you, what, what takes that individual joy and makes it complete for me? Not just that the gospel had its effect on my life, but that I've had the privilege of fellowshipping together around the gospel with all of you. What a privilege. What a privilege that it's been. And I was just rolling through pictures. I don't even know how they're going to come up. I just gave them to production. They worked their magic back here. But I think of the joy that I've been able to have. So just roll through them. So here's, here's a picture of our fellowship around the gospel. We used to uh, meet just up the road in Old Town. And then every week, a bunch of us would go to Foster's. And what we longed to see when we plant this church was just all of the ethnic and age and socioeconomic backgrounds united together. And I remember the fellowship that we would have even around something as simple as food. You can uh, go to, to the next one. Man, here, here's a picture of how the gospel transforms you. You can't see all of it because the screen is too short. There's Carly and Evan, but in their baby carriers are two twin boys that they fostered together for a long period of time through a lot of joy and a lot of pain in that. Why did they do that? Because the gospel transformed their lives. What a joy it's been to watch the gospel transform your lives and then for you to step up and serve other people who are in need. What else do we have here? Look at this guy, Pablo. Uh, he, he's there with like a fourth grade book. He's not doing remedial studies. Uh, what is Pablo doing? Man, so first of all, right before our church was started, Diego hits me up. He's like, listen, a friend of mine, I, I think he's ready to put his faith in Christ. I'm not quite sure how to process this. We meet together at a coffee shop at like 9.30, 10 o'clock that night. We process for two hours. We walk outside. We pray that Pablo would trust Christ. He was baptized at our first service, and now here he is serving at the Georgetown South Community Center, tutoring kids who need some help. His wife, Anna, also was baptized at New City, and I had the privilege of, of marrying them just over a year ago, uh, uh, and, and they're doing incredible. What a, what a privilege it's been. You can go to the next one. There's Stephen uh, every week at the Georgetown South Community Center, again, serving our fellowship together to serve that community. You can move uh, to the next one. Uh, here's uh, one example. It's my mother-in-law, but just raise your hand if you've served in kids ministry at some point at New City Fellowship. Let's hear it for them. And can we give a hand for Sam Gambali, who has been serving in that role, doing an incredible job. Here's our people saying, man, the gospel is precious to me. I want to pass it on to the next generation. I don't want to just experience it alone. I want other, even younger people to experience the same thing. What has been a, a joy it's been to fellowship around that. Uh, you can go to the, to the next one. Uh, oh boy, Marvin, baptizing him was an incredible uh, story. You can go to the next one of just some of the baptism pictures. There's MJ. Some of you heard her story. Uh, and then finally, uh, Chris Heflin, who joined our church uh, a, a while back, like the privilege that it's been, and we'll do it in a little bit, to not just personally experience the saving realities of the gospel, but to, to watch other people uh, put their faith in him as well and have their lives completely transformed. Man, I have enough joy to worship God for all eternity when I think about what he's done for me as an individual. 
but how it's completed my joy, brought my joy to a whole nother level, experiencing the realities of the gospel uh, with those of you in this room over recent years. Why does Paul have such joy and why can we have such joy in the midst of a heavy and sorrowful time? Because of the fellowship we have the fellowship we have in the gospel. Let me give you Paul's second reason for joy. Why else is he uh, joyful in this heavy time? Number one, their fellowship in the gospel. Number two, their endure, the endurance, the endurance of the gospel. So in the midst of this like sort of sorrowful moment, there's, there is perhaps a, a reason or at least a question that could bring increased joy. The question would be this. Paul is not going back to the church in Philippi, and so they're pressed with this problem. What will happen to all of the good things that God was doing in people's lives in the long run? Will this just be something that we look back and say, wow, we had an incredible time walking with God, fellowshipping in the gospel, uh, but, but that was a thing of the past? Or will there be an enduring effect of the gospel? Uh, will there be a lasting effect? So speaking personally, the hardest part of this transition that we feel confident and peace about, we feel like God is leading us in this, we feel like it's right, but the hardest part has been asking the question, what will happen to the church and to the people that I love as we go? What will happen with the work of the gospel that's been experienced by all of us over the past five years? Will it continue? Will it continue? Paul moves from verse five, discussing their fellowship in the gospel, to verse six, discussing the enduring effect of the gospel. If anyone has any questions about the work of the gospel and the lives of the people in the church, Paul says the following. Not, I think this, not I hope this, not I wonder about this. Paul says the following, beginning in verse six, and I am sure, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul knows that the work of the gospel that began during his time in Philippi, will continue. He's sure of it, he says. There's lots of things in the book that he's not sure about. This fact, he is sure of. And why is he so sure that the work of the gospel will continue in the church that was planted? He's sure of it because who has taken the responsibility to see it through? So I wanna share with you some of the people who have taken responsibility in a unique way. All of our members have, but in a unique way during this season of transition. There's, there's some different people that come to mind that are just incredible to me that have just said, hey, we're gonna be here and we're gonna help carry this thing forward. The first people I think about are our new staff team. Y'all are blessed with an incredible staff team going forward here at New City. We've got Rebecca Gates, who just does so much behind the scenes, so well. She loves the church more than you know, and she is laboring with things that many of us will never even be aware of, does he continue? I think of Daniel Green, who's a phenomenal worship leader, but the crazy thing about that is like he's just getting started. Like he's never even done this, and yet he's passionate every week to lead this body in worship, uh, and I'm so excited for the role that he's stepping into. Uh, Sarah Music is going to be stepping in as our kids director. She has one of the biggest hearts of anyone I've ever seen. 
She loves the families of this church and, and God has gifted her to help guide and lead our church and partner with parents to disciple kids. We have an extraordinary staff team here. However, they are not the reason that I am confident in the enduring work of the gospel here in your lives and in this church. We've got a transition team that's being put together. We've got some men who have joined and they're talking about possibly adding some other people. But let me just talk about a few of those people, man. Lewis Lunsford, he's been my neighbor for the past few years. Incredible man of God. He's been somewhat in the background. He's led in a lot of different ways. But over the past even few weeks, I've seen a leadership gifting, a love for the church expressed for him uh, that, that just amazes me. He's endowed with wisdom by the Holy Spirit uh, and is on this team to help see the, the church move forward. Andrew Music is on this team. And what stands out to me about him is that like at every moment, he's finding a way to bring the word of God into an interaction. He, uh, as, as the Bible says, the word of God dwells in him richly. He's going to be helping see this thing forward. And then, of course, there's who I refer to as my younger brother, Diego. He's actually probably, if I'm remembering correctly, the only person here at New City that was also at the church that we were sent from Sojourn years ago. And I've seen God transform him from sort of a college student figuring it out to maybe the best discipler that New City has. Uh, a, a, a incredible husband, an incredible father, uh, a, a man of God. Like he and so many others on this transition team, they're incredible, but they're not the reason that I'm confident in the enduring work of the gospel here at New City. Let me talk about one more. Chewy. Chewy, it's been a privilege getting to know him. And he stepped in in a, in a uh, pivotal moment to help pastor and lead this church uh, during this next season. And what initially really captured me about Chewy is that, man, he has a lot of vision and ambition and longing for the gospel to continue to move forward. He's planted a church before. He has overseen church plants. He loves partnering with church planters. He loves, he lives for uh, the, the, the advance of the gospel. But I, I know sometimes can be the case, people with high ambition and vision can sometimes lack just sort of a a gentle, caring heart. What, I've, what I initially saw in Chewy was this ambition. What I've seen more recently, man, is just his tender heart towards people, particularly in their hardship. When Chewy says that he loves the people of this church and that he's here to walk with you and care for you, he means it. Man, he's, he's gifted for this particular moment and I couldn't be more happy for him to step in and help guide the church during this time. Uh, Carla, the same way, so much love, so much compassion for, for all of you. Um, there, there's wisdom with him. There's a passionate love for food that Chewy has that uh, many of us have begun to experience. Uh, um, but, but even with all of these great qualities, Chewy is not the reason that I'm confident for the enduring work of the gospel. But yet Paul says, and I say with him, I am sure of this. I'm sure of this. Why such certainty in the midst of a lot of uncertainty? Because... When it comes to the work of the gospel, the God of the universe has committed himself to your salvation and he will not relent. He will not relent until you stand with him in glory. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Why can we have such hope that the work of the gospel will continue in our lives? Because of you, because of uh, the leaders, because of structures? No, because the good shepherd 
The Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for the sheep, says, I will carry you through. But what if I let go of him? He will never let go of you. What if I am faithless? He will remain faithful. Uh, What if I sin greatly against him? He is an even greater savior. New City Fellowship, you put your confidence in this this morning that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. The reason the work of the gospel will continue through this church, through your lives, is because who it is that has taken responsibility for it, he is faithful. He is faithful and he will see it through. That is reason for great rejoicing. And then there's one more that I wanna consider together with you all this morning. We've considered the source of joy for their fellowship in the gospel a source of joy, knowing that Jesus is going to see this thing through to completion. And then the final consideration this morning is the motivation, the motivation for the gospel. What brought it about? What was the reason that God gave us the gospel of his son in the first place? So in verse three through five, Paul describes their fellowship in the gospel. In verse six, he describes the endurance of the gospel And then in verse seven, we see the motive or the reason for the gospel. Paul will once again, first here in verse seven, describe the joy and affection he feels for the church. He says the following, it's right for me to feel this way about you, for I hold you in my heart. Just as an aside, I can't think of a better just statement of how myself, how, how Chelsea feels towards you all. Um, we hold you all in our heart for the rest of our lives. You will hold a special place in, in our hearts. We will not ever forget about you. We love you dearly. We hold you deeply, deeply in our hearts. That's how, how Paul expressed it. And then he, he gives the core reason for why he feels so strongly. What is the motivation Why did God give us all these incredible gifts that he gives us in the gospel? Uh, Why why did he choose to save us and put us in his church? What's the reason behind this? What's the, the motive behind all of these precious realities? Let's continue reading. It is right for me to feel this way about you, for I hold you in my heart, for we are all partakers of grace. The greatest source of joy in the gifts we receive in the gospel is that we don't deserve any of them. I mean, you could spend the rest of your life just studying what God has done in sending his son for us and all of the precious gifts, the precious promises that are given to us through him. Why? Grace, purely out of grace. God did not save us because he was making a good investment. God did not save us because once he knew he got us going a bit, we would be able to kind of help him with some of the stuff he wants to do. God did not save us because he wanted to start a new church in Manassas. God saved us purely by his grace. And I'm, I'm amazed at all the things we've been able to experience together as a church. I'm at a loss for words when I consider that we don't deserve any of it, any of it. 
and yet it's been freely given to us. As Ephesians would put it, his grace has been lavished on us. There's an old acronym. Maybe if you've been in church for a while, you've heard it. What is, what is grace? How can we do that? And they take the letters of grace and they uh, explain what it means. I think it's actually pretty good. What is grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is just the riches. We've been only begun. Like, like Paul in the beginning of Ephesians says like, uh, I pray that your eyes could be opened to, to the, basically the glories of the gospel that are coming for you in eternity. I pray that your eyes will be opened to this in eternal hope that you have. We've only begun to experience the glories of the gospel, and yet we will experience them together for all eternity. How did they come to us? They weren't free. All that we experience in our relationship with God, it wasn't free, but it was given freely at Christ's expense. And so this is the invitation and this is the privilege that we have with you this morning. Let's come and partake of grace together one more time at the communion table where we remember all of it is of grace. We deserve nothing and yet we get everything. Everything purchased at Christ's expense. I want you to take the bread and you remember that God in his grace for you sent his son had his body beaten and broken in your place as a substitute. And I want you to take the cup and remember that he poured out his blood. That was the cost. That was the price. His very life was poured out so that he might rescue you from your sins. If you believe that, come forward in just a moment and we will celebrate this sacred communion meal together. Let me just speak briefly to some of you who may be in the room and you don't you don't believe that. You are here and you've not come to a place where you've received for yourself the precious grace of God. Our longings, the reason why we planted this church, the reason we do so much of what we do is so that more people could become partakers of grace with us because grace is never hoarded. It's always shared. We, we've received God's love freely and we want to extend it to others the same way. And we want to share with you this morning the riches of salvation that God has freely given to us through the death and resurrection of his son. And so if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been like mildly religious in your past, but you have no real, like honestly, you have no real relationship with God. Uh, or you've just been like, you want nothing to do with God. You've been running in the other direction. Man, my invitation um, is this morning is for you to experience the grace that has so powerfully transformed our lives. My invitation is for you to experience that yourself. How can you experience it? How can you receive God's grace, God's undeserved love in your life? I think just a bit later in the book of Philippians, it's captured quite well. Let me, let me read what it says in Philippians 2, verse 6. It says, listen, listen to this. Concerning Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What is that saying? That, that the eternal God who's existed forever took on human form, 
to become like you and not to be like a, a ruler above that you come and you, you serve. It says that he actually became your servant, like Jesus became your servant, and this is what he did to serve you. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most incredible news in the world is that even though you and I are sinful and we don't deserve anything from God, he died on a cross for us. And this is what God has done in response in verse nine. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How can you receive God's grace in your life? It's by first of all believing that that's true, that Jesus gave his life for you. Though you're sinful, though you're far from God, though you can't save yourself, though you're a mess on your own, Jesus gave his life for you. Believe that. And then bow your life in submission to him. Even though that feels daunting and, and like, man, well, what if I mess up? What if I fail? You don't need to worry about that. He'll take care of that. All you need to do is say, I surrender. I bow to you. You're the Lord of my life. And then finally it says, confess him as Lord. In a moment, my niece is gonna come and show us what that looks like through baptism. But you don't have to wait for baptism. You can confess him as the Lord of your life this morning. Would you just do me this favor as this is my last Sunday, if you're this, here this morning, not a Christian, as we come forward to take communion, just take what I just said to heart. Consider it for yourself. Do you need the saving work of Jesus? What's stopping you from taking it this morning? It can be yours. And uh, if you'd like to discuss that further, and I'll stay here as long as I need to, to, to make sure that that's very clear for you. Let me pray for us. And then together, just like it says in verse seven. It is right for you to feel this way, for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for we are all partakers of grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the precious gifts that you've given us in this church. Thank you for your grace. Would we partake of it now as we hold these elements in our hands and as we partake of them together? Father, I put my confidence that you who began a good work in this church will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. What a privilege it's been to be a part of it with you, God. Thank you for that. And thank you that there is indeed coming a day. As we, as we take this temporary meal, it's pointing us forward. This meal is pointing us forward when all of us will gather in your new heavens and new earth and share in the greatest feast any of us have ever had. And we will dwell together for all eternity. Thank you that there's no more tears, no more goodbyes. Um, just to eternity, worshiping you and being in fellowship together around your throne. Lord, we look forward to that day. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.